Welcome to Wellspring on the Air. I'm Nicole Alfonso, a therapist at Wellspring and the host of today's show about end of life care. Today on our show, we have Ivana Guzman, which we're excited to have. Thank you, Ivana, for um, choosing this topic. I think it's a special and important topic, a topic that we don't often like talking about. So thank you. Um, Thank you for having me. Of course. So thank you. And I want to just um, give people a little bit of info about you. So if you could just introduce yourself and tell them what you do here at Wellspring. Well, um, hello, um, I'm Ivana. I am a registered mental health counselor at Wellspring. I recently um, started full time at Wellspring, building up that client load, um, being part of the amazing programs like Bounce that Wellspring um, has and does for the community. So a little bit about me. I love reading. Um, I like puzzles, kind of those brain games really interested in. Um, being outdoors in the sense of like hiking and doing fun activities. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a little bit about me. Very awesome. Things. <laughs> I just learned something new about you that you're a puzzle person. Yes. I love jigsaw puzzles. <laughs> that's awesome. Love them. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let's go ahead and dive in. Um, end of life care. What does this mean? What is, wh- when, when we talk about this, what is this like, um, I feel like there's a lot of different components to it. So could you share a little bit about what does that mean? Definitely. So there's not really a set definition um, or interval for what end of life care is. In the medical field, through that medical model perspective, there's different ways to refer to end of life care as well. Um, Some terms that may sound familiar are hospice care, palliative Mm -hmm. care, terminal care. Um, And there's some distinctions between them as well. The two most common ones are palliative care and hospice care. And a lot of people think that they're the same, they're interchangeable, but in reality, they're a bit different. Um, So I'm going to describe what those differences are just so we get a clear picture of what we relate to when we think about end of life care. So palliative care is care provided to anyone with a serious illness. It could be at any point in time. It's meant to enhance care by focusing on the quality of life of the patient and of the family. And like I mentioned, it's a resource helpful at any stage of the illness. The earlier, the better, because it helps the patient and the family process the illness, the steps and the care and the the healthcare involved throughout the, the process of the illness. But it doesn't mean that you're giving up on treatment. It's just okay. extra, it's like an extra resource for the family, for the patient during this difficult time. Yeah. And so it's not terminal. The client doesn't have to be terminal to right. receive palliative care. Okay. Got it. Now with hospice care, that's where the big difference is. Hospice mm. care focuses on the care and the comfort and also the quality of life of the patient. However, this patient is approaching death. Usually mm-hmm. The doctors, the medical team says that they have about six months or less to live if the if the illness takes its natural course. So it it kind of has that time limit. Hospice, Mm, you need to be in this time frame to qualify for hospice care. Um, This is also used when there's no treatment available for the illness, or the treatment isn't working, or the patient has decided that they don't want to continue in the treatment because they feel that it's better for them to just 
you know, live out the rest of their, mm-hmm. their days without taking medication or doing procedures and just spending time with family. So there's that time component. And there's also that autonomy component of maybe I just don't want to keep doing all these treatments or why continue if the treatment isn't working. So hospice care comes in and provides that care and that comfort and that quality of life to the patient at that time. So I also want to mention that doesn't mean that that we're just going to let that person suffer and pain all the time. Hospice care is really the attempts to cure the illness are stopped, but symptom relief is still provided. So pain management, pain medication, um, all those are still involved and incorporated into hospice care. Yeah, to take away all the uncomfortable, um, just feelings and um, pain, right? Uh, Right. That the illness could be causing Mm -hmm. so that the death is more peaceful and not so traumatic, right? Yeah. Exactly, yes. Okay, so let's talk about why it's important to actually have a plan, Um, Mm -hmm. right? Because I feel like um, it's kind of like, you don't want to like talk about it or, or, you know, discuss because it feels like you're giving up hope, right? When you think about, well, let's plan if we need this or that, but really it's actually a relief in a way to have a plan, right? So let's talk about that because I think it's important. Yes, definitely. So it's definitely important to have these conversations and have a plan for end of life, um, especially if, um, it is a terminal illness. If you know, that's kind of the path that eventually, you know, the illness is going to take, but it gives also um, hope in a sense to the patient as well, because they get to choose what that plan is. So there's autonomy there. Mm. And that's a very, a very big benefit to the patient. And ultimately as the family as well, Um, having those open discussions early on is even better because everyone's kind of on the same page. And the client's wishes, the patient's wishes are upheld. Um, It also just increases, you know, research shows it increases the the compliance with medical team and patient goals and the medical team goals. Um, It increases patient satisfaction in the medical setting and the healthcare setting as well, which then in turn um, makes the whole kind of experience of struggling with a issue, illness, um, disease easier on the patient mm-hmm. and on the family. And so it's something that's really important to do. And like I mentioned, the earlier, the, the better, because then you know what you want before perhaps the illness takes, you know, um, control of, of your mind, your cognitive abilities. Right. Um, and you no longer can make decisions. Exactly. Right. Yeah. And that's where I also work at a hospital. So that's where I see a lot of issues mm-hmm. sometimes pop up is when the patient has that lack of mental capacity mm-hmm. and the plan wasn't set. And then it really turns into kind of a legal battle or a medical care battle. Yeah. What do we do between the family and friends? And it stops becoming less about what the patient wants and wanted and more about what the external factors and the the family and friends may want. So the importance, I would say one of the biggest importances for having these conversations and having an end-of-life care plan is so that the patient, the one person kind of struggling and dealing with the physical and the mental aspects of the illness 
has the say on what happens to them and how it happens to them. Yeah, that that's that's so important, I think, because it can get so complicated, right? And chaotic. Um, and and even separate families mm-hmm. when they have to make these decisions and it's not been in place. So it, it really is overwhelming. Um, and so it it, it it's necessary if you want to maintain some sort of peace throughout the process, already a difficult process, right? Yes, yes, definitely. And, you know, research shows that one of the top five barriers to patient goals for end-of-life care is that lack of mental capacity. So there was a study that showed that patients, cancer patients coming in admitted, about 79% of them admitted came in with mental capacity. They could make their own decisions. They had their own say in the medical care and the course that it took. But 40% of those patients lost capacity before any actual plans of end of life care could be discussed or even had. So 40% of those patients went through this illness, end of life, passing with perhaps complications and mm-hmm. um, that conflict between family and decision-making because they lost that capacity throughout the, the progress of their illness before the conversation was even had. So it's wow. really important to have those, like I said, early on so that we can avoid that, that barrier. Of course. And I think it's a really important thing to make the distinction of having these conversations does not mean giving up hope. Right. Right. It just means preparing so that things are smoother. Right. So things can flow better and the client or the patient feels taken care of. Right. Um, And and relieved from all the symptoms and all the negative pain that that they'd be having. So I think it's huge. Um, You know, my husband does wills and trusts. Uh, so he does this whole preparing of okay, where is, you know, where, who are you giving what to, what is happening, you know, when, when you have to make medical decisions and all that. And it, you know, it can be so difficult if that's not in place. Yes. Um, and, and again, it's really about taking care of yourself and your family and planning well. Um, again, not giving up hope, but right. Our lives are in God's hands, you know, so we don't know what's going to happen. Right. And so, right. And the better you're prepared, right. Like you mentioned, the easier that, that illness and that difficult situation will be because you don't have to worry or stress about those things. There are right place. You can set them away, put them in a drawer. And when it's that time, everybody knows what the patient wanted, what everyone was discussing. It's, it doesn't have to be um, a solitary thing either, right? Mm. Patients can come to the final conclusion and will come to the final conclusion of their plans on their own because mm-hmm. it's their own life and journey. But the family, the people who are important to them, the medical team even can be involved in these discussions. So yes. it's not something that the patient does all on their own it's something that's discussed with a support team, with a medical team, looking at what is the best option or what are the options um, to make so, that plan the best for that patient. So the, you're leading into that piece of preparing, like how does families and friends prepare for this? Practically speaking, what steps do they take, you know? Right. And, you know, like you mentioned, this could be a very sad and heavy topic and sometimes even a taboo topic of yes. nobody, a lot of people don't like to talk about it. 
Um, but like we've been talking about, these conversations are important and can also, I feel, bring hope to, to the situation um, because you now have hope that, okay, even if things take a turn for the worse, we have this set in motion and this plan and we know that it's what our patient or our family member um, wants and that it's going to be an easier transition, right? It's going to be yeah. less stressful. It's going to be less traumatic, like you mentioned. Um, but beginning that conversation can be also difficult. How do you even approach, you know, your family member or friend who's dying or in critical condition about, hey, what are your plans about, yeah. you know? What do you want? Yeah. Treatment doesn't work. What do you want if, you know, the worst comes to happen? Um, and really, I think it all starts with the patient um, as well when they're ready to talk about it. So the medical team, you as family, friend, will gauge that person and you know hopefully you have a, a relationship with that person if you're having this deep discussion and this personal discussion um and just gauge if if they're ready if if they're been thinking about it they're open to talking about end of life care planning um and then just involving those people who who are knowledgeable right the medical team doctors nurses mm -hmm. mental health therapists even nutritionists anybody that can have um a professional opinion or um, information on what the process entails. What does mm -hmm. it actually mean? What could it look like for you? Um, because every patient, every, every illness is going to be different and take a different course for each individual. So having that medical team involved in that conversation, again, once the patient is ready, is very critical. And also in the sense of the patient asking questions, you know, not being afraid to, to ask those tough questions to your medical team, to your mental health professionals, to your family, um, being informed and being involved, again, that piece of autonomy um, mm. in all your options, right? Um, and taking the time, again, right, to think about what you want for yourself, um, what, you know, you, you value, what you believe in, um, incorporating all of that. And having those open discussions um, yeah. is one of the, the first steps and several steps that the patient can take. Yeah. And so the patient, you know, does this and you as family and friends, you help in this process of what would you like if, you know, um, and then there's this really important piece that I think we sometimes have difficulty with, which is respecting what the patient decides, right? And as family and friends, it's often like, no, no, but you should try this or you should try this, right? Yeah. But ultimately, it's their way of ending life and they want to decide. And so we should be respectful mm -hmm. of that, right? And what if we're, we're struggling with that as a family member, or as a friend? Yeah, definitely. It's, it's going to be very difficult also for not only the patient, but the people around them, mm -hmm. the people who love them and support them and have been with them for a long time. So some things the family can do, family and friends, is if they're having that, that struggle with respecting those wishes, right, they, they disagree, they want them to keep fighting and doing all these things, it's going to seek help from a therapist or a counselor or a pastor or someone that they look up to or that someone who's had that experience before mm -hmm. and getting that, that knowledge from someone um, to try and process and understand the choices that the patient has made. Um, to get to that respecting those those wishes. Um, it's not going to be easy. It's a difficult journey for everyone involved, but just 
that same openness that the patient has to have in talking about that discussion and those plans, um, the family and friends have to take that same approach in, in opening up to, to professionals, to trusted friends, to yeah. other people who have gone through it and really just begin to process and understand and work through those feelings and, yeah. and those hopes that maybe are disappointments um, to get to that level of respect for the patient's wishes and um, just continue to be that support even if there's some some tension there or disagreement. Yeah, difficult, but but um, important to have a support system either way, right? As a patient or as a family member. Right, right. Yeah. So as a family, you can't just be the only support to the patient. Yeah. You also have to have your other, you know, your own supports. Yes, um, your people, your people yeah. that you could, yeah. <laughs> So how does having a plan or not having a plan um, affect mental health of family and just the people around the the patient? Yeah, so there's research shows that there's a very big impact um, Mm -hmm. on both patient and families um, if there's no plan um, or or steps in place or no discussions had. Um, So kind of on the medical side, there's more patient satisfaction, right, with the the medical care and the team, as we mentioned before. Families are also more satisfied with the care that their family or friend mm-hmm. receives. So that takes the stress off of, oh, are they treating my my family member correctly? Are they treating them well? Are you know, are they still doing everything they can? If they have a plan in place, those worries kind of dissipate. Mm-hmm. Um, now the lack thereof, right? There's more unsatisfaction with the the team. Um, if there's no plan in place, um, family participation can get involved, and like you mentioned, sometimes it gets really tricky, especially yeah. with a big family. Um, I've seen that a lot, kind of a, uh, at the hospital where there's several kids, for instance, and you know their parent is in the hospital, and they all have different opinions and mm-hmm. can't agree to something. So that not only causes tension between the family unit, but also causes problems for the patient, right? They don't get the care as fast as they need it or the care that they um, actually need. Um, There's a lot of back and forth. Um, Again, causing stress, research shows that um, those families are more prone to to depression and and Mm. PTSD as well. So, um, and then they also perceive that their, their loved ones didn't receive good quality care or end their life on good quality terms. Mm. Um, so then you can have guilt, um, regrets come in leading, you know, or contributing to that depression and that very intense um, mental state um, yeah. of the family. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that um, overall, it just, it's just better to plan. It's just better for everyone, for everyone, their mental health, their, um, the way they view the death, everything just seems like, um, it's a better outcome when you're prepared. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So with preparation, we see that, um, we increase family participation in those discussions, and then they are less likely to develop depression or complicated Mm -hmm. grief or PTSD. Um, there's also less psychological burdens on the bereaved family and friends, right? So 
we see that decrease in mental health issues when there is a plan. So we see the opposite when there isn't a plan. Of course. Yeah. Wow. So of course, anyone listening um, that, that is in this situation right now, um, this is the plan and, and getting the care is the better option overall. So let's talk about um, the biblical piece of this. We always like to discuss, you know, what does God say? How does faith play a role in the end of life care? Tell us a little bit about that. Yes. So there's several myths that kind of run around um, about end of life care, kind of those two that we mentioned, palliative care and hospice care. Um, The myth kind of that it's assisted suicide or euthanasia or something like that. Um, So a lot of people are put off by, mm-hmm. by this topic in general, right? Because of that. But like we mentioned in the beginning, that's not what it is. It's just quality of care in that end life stage. It's that care and comfort, that pain relief that comes from that illness that is taking that route. Um, and so faith, religion, those beliefs, they're all incorporated into the discussions and the decisions of end-of-life care planning. Um, Like we have talked about, the patient ultimately decides what they want and they take that all into consideration. Um, Part of the team that can talk to the patient and family is, you know, pastors um, and people of faith that they may be close to or relate to. Um, But as I was doing, you know, research for this topic, more specifically on right that topic of, of faith and how end of life care and how they kind of come together, um, I found this report um, and it mentions four biblical principles kind of related to um, end of life care and dying really. Um, and so I'll briefly kind of mention the verses um, mm-hmm. that they go through um, to give us that that biblical perspective right yes. from the source. So the first principle is, comes from Philippians 1, um, chapter 1, 19 through 26. Um, and it says, I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ, whether I live or die. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So really, this principle, the report says it's God's glory is our ultimate aim, right? Mm-hmm. So you're torn between two desires here, right? Whether you're going to stay here on earth mm-hmm. and live and continue or if you're going to go with Christ, right? And ultimately, you know, he says, I long to go and be with Christ, which would be far better for me. Mm -hmm. So we see that in the Bible that, yes, there is that we want to stay here, but we want to go what's better. The Bible tells us, leave earth and and go to, to your heavenly father, right? So that's something that can play into this planning. Um, the second principle, um, there is a time to seize resisting death for the glory of God. And that principle stems from Ecclesiastes three, one through two, right? For everything, there is a season, a time for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die. So we see that there's a time for everything. Mm -hmm. Um, And so sometimes, and the report concluded that in light of all the scripture, this can, this can include the time to stop resisting death. Mm. by which means of measures that are minimally effective or that have serious side effects right why are you resisting something if if treatment isn't working or if it's causing so much distress and 
and side effects in your life here. Yeah. Um, and then the third principle is the Bible does not require that we suffer merely to extend our physical life, but life is not to be abandoned, abandoned simply on account of suffering. And that comes from John 21, 18 through 19. And it says, when you are old, you will stretch out mm. your hands and others will dress you and take you where you don't want to go. Jesus said this to let him know by which kind of death he would glorify God. So it kind of shows that, yes, during the end stages, you have people who are going to take care of you mm -hmm. and lead you through this. And that's okay. Continue in, you know, being led in that way. And, but don't worry, right? This is the natural way of, of things going. Exactly. Mm -hmm. And then the last one, um, which I think, I think is more the most applicable one, or that I think the one that we can see more as, okay, yes, this makes sense. It's an action step kind of, um, says when death is likely to occur within a short period of time it should be faced with realism and readiness so kind of what we've been talking about about being prepared and planning mm -hmm. and that comes from genesis 49 through 50 um those stories where both jacob and joseph are taking steps to be reconciled with others and to speak of god's promises to their loved ones as they're nearing their death so even as these two biblical you know people persons mm -hmm. are preparing for their own death you know it's, they're old they're, they know that it's it's coming they're talking to their family and their friends and the community preaching you know god's word preparing them mm -hmm. so that when they pass they're they're okay they know what to do next so this i feel like relates and kind of puts everything together in what we've been talking about about how being prepared and planning can be a huge benefit to not only the patient, but to the family and the people around them in preparing them for life after, even for, for them as a whole. You absolutely. Absolutely. I think, um, you know, in a lot of things in our lives, we should be prepared, right? And we should plan for our future. And this is just another thing that we should be prepared and, and plan for as difficult as it is it will make life smoother, easier, and in the end, um, more, more dignified for the patient, yes. right? Wow. Thank you, Ivana, so much for bringing on this topic and, and coming on and, and sharing with us. I know you have even personal experience with these struggles in your, in your other job as a nurse. So um, I'm thankful that you brought that as well. So it is time to cl close out this show. Thank you again, Ivana, for joining us today and helping us learn about this end of life care and how important it is to plan. Um, we, sh we hope that this show was helpful to all of you that were listening. And again, thank you for joining us. Um, we hope that this was helpful. Encourage us and let us know you're listening by sending comments or questions to ontheair at wellspringmiami.org. It's time to wrap up. This is Nicole Alfonso with Wellspring on the Air because hearts and minds matter.